Welcome to episode five of the Grizz Den podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Walker. I'm joined by Brantley Davidson. Let's go. And look who it is. Hey, guys. Back from the dead, Ty Smith. Not actually back from the dead. He had had a child. My wife had a kid. (laughs) I like to think, I like to be saying, like, I I I didn't have a kid. I had nothing to do with it. You're present. But, I mean, you kind of. I was there. I All right. Well, it. Before, it. before we get started, how how's the grip, Grizz Cub doing? So, Hatcher, Baby Hatch, as he's been referred to on the pod, is doing really good. Um, been watching some Grizz games with him. He he doesn't open his eyes much, but I can tell he feels it. You know, Does he like he can, Dylan Brooks. <laughs> no, <laughs> he doesn't. But this he, is going to be a pro Dylan podcast for me. Uh, just a fair warning. Yeah, not not for me. Um, <laughs> Can't believe yeah. we're already talking about. Dylan I know. Brooks. This is I what love, we do. I love guys. Dylan. Uh, but no, Hatch is doing great. Um, getting him on a, a little schedule right now, so he should be napping as we speak. Mm. Fingers crossed. It's like a, on the award shows. You know, it's like if your kids are watching, go to bed. If, if my kid's listening, he's not. He's two weeks old. <laughs> But go to bed. <laughs> Ty, we're so, so happy to have you back. It's good to be back. Seriousness. Good to so, be back. Yeah. Um, okay, so instead of last last week, we or last episode, we talked about uh, sort of Brantley and I went back and forth about a couple of things, like our, our the very first jersey we got. We want to try to throw a little something in like that at the beginning of each podcast. But uh, this is a great time, actually, to uh, – a lot of you have, has, have had some questions, and I just wanted to go through a few FAQs. About the pod, so that you know everybody what does can. What stand for? Frequently, frequently asked questions. Thank How you. about that? Facts. <laughs> no, that's not what it's. All right. So first FAQ: How often are we going to do this podcast? Weekly. At least we're going to try. That's, that's the goal. That's once a week, right? That's once yeah. a week. Uh, usually at the end of the week, we're going to try to try to time it. After last time when we had to do an emergency pod because we recorded during a Grizz game. Uh, we're going to try to do it on off days of, of the Grizzlies playing, so it's going to fluctuate on which day the podcast comes out. But if you follow us on social media, we'll tell you uh, when it's going to drop. All right, second question. What's up with uh, Brantley and Ty's mic volume sometimes? Uh, hand up. That one's on me. Uh, Better well, now. I would say 90% on me, uh, 10% on, you know, we're all getting used to this whole podcasting thing, but, you know, just getting the levels right, uh, trying to stay close to the mic, so sorry about that, um, but we're going we're gonna to do better with that, right, guys? Yeah, and we're doing better because we are now on all podcast platforms. Ooh, yes. Let's go. All Where do them. you want to listen? Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast. That's fantastic. Apple, iTunes. Uh, you should be able to find us everywhere. Search Memphis Grizzlies. Search Grizzden Podcast. Whatever you want to do, find us, subscribe, rate, give us a review. Uh, tell us how much you miss Ty because he was so great in episodes one, two, and three. Uh, or one and two. Just I'm one sorry. And two. Yeah, three and four. It was actually our least played podcast. <laughs> but then episode four came around just swinging high. So we're back. Uh, better than ever. Instagram Grizz underscore Den, Twitter Grizz Den. Give us a follow. We'll give you keep you posted. And then shout out to our uh, friend of the podcast, Banks Shepherd, for our new Superfly logo. It looks awesome. It's legit. It's a neon sign. It's got Memphis in there. Banks, I don't know you, man, but hell of a logo, dude. 
I mean, hell of a logo. Just text me. It was like, hey, I'm 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 bored. I'm sick. I need to. I don't want to like throw shade at your logo, but you need a new one. I was like, yeah, dude. That's I true. I was hoping it was, that, that you would do this. Yeah. So <laughs> you're the man. We love you. And uh, you know, I think our, all of our goal here is to be able to make it big enough to where we can afford uh, a real neon sign that looks just like that uh, in our studio. I mean, we should just buy Sun Studios and just put it out front. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the last go. FAQ I had was, "What's your end game here, man?" <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, we uh, this is just really fun for us. Um, we love getting to do this, and also um, we hope that you know we we build a a small community, maybe a big community one day here at Grizzden. But uh, we have a lot of fun doing this. I hope you have a lot of fun listening to us. Um, and with that. Let's get started, guys. Um, so we had four games uh, between the last podcast and this podcast. One of them we did a, a little emergency pod about, the Houston Rockets game. So uh, we beat the Rockets and beat the Cavs in two of the most memorable wins of the season so far. And then we uh, lost pretty handily until the very last few minutes to New Orleans and then lost the whole way through almost to Boston in two of the most memorable losses of the season so this is kind of a bittersweet moment in the season let's start high level guys uh what did you see over this four game stretch that you you want to call out um i'll just go really quickly and this was one thing that on chris vernon's podcast they talked about last week um just that you know kind of going into uh the week we were you know we were like will said we were two and two um but uh, against the Rockets, we were we were going for I think what was our seventh game in a row, um, or going against the Cavs maybe, and then whenever we were going to beat, if we were going to beat the, the Pelicans or the Celtics, that would kind of lead into potentially tying like a franchise record for for wins in a row. And at the time, we were leading the NBA um, in the longest win streak, and you know there's just a lot of fun things happening around that period of time. Obviously, all the like social media things and all the hype that came along with beating. What now in hindsight was a struggling and is a struggling Houston Rockets team. They've got a lot of really odd things, I think, going on with that team. And if I were a fan there, I'd be sort of freaking out. But this is not a Rockets podcast because who the hell would want to <laughs> listen to us talk about James Harden for an hour? Because that'd that's be terrible. Um, but, you know, there's all this national media stuff that's going around that's, just, that's really fun to, to soak it in. And I guess I would just say it's like it, it now sort of seeing what's happened, we lost two games in a row at just – you know, super low moments in the season. And, you know, there was no expectation. Well, we talk about that actually a little bit later in the podcast on an interview with David Cobb. Um, but we weren't really expecting a whole lot. Right. And, and from like a, a, um, from like a low point in the franchise, you know, it's just hard for us to be able to like have any other expectation other than like, Hey, this is going to happen. It's a young team. It's volatile. That's what we should expect. Yeah. I, I, it is crazy that it it really was two of the highest highs we've had so far this season and then two of the lowest lows all in one week. I think that's a perfect – it's probably what we're going to expect to see uh, with this team again. Um, so my from, from my perspective, I uh, – <laughs> as we joked about at the very beginning, I really think that Dylan Brooks has turned a corner. Uh, I'm not all the way there on him – necessarily what kind of, what corner what what is this he turned a corner man i mean you Going gotta look to at where apart from 
apart from last night where he scored six points, and it's just an overall forgettable night for the Grizzlies. Nobody played well. Nobody did. Yep. Pr- the previous three games, Houston, 24 points. Cleveland, 26 points. New Orleans, 31 points. And basically what looked like he was the only player that wanted to be out there for the first three quarters. Sadly true. In that game. Um, I think it, it is fair. I mean, he is in a contract year. He is giving everything to this team. Uh, for better or for worse, sometimes it's for worse. As we saw at the at the very end of that game that we were just talking about, the Pelicans game, when he uh, took a very ill-advised shot when he had Jaron Jackson open at the top of the key. I think it was a five-point game at that point. We were finally back in it. So it, you kind of have to take the bad with the good. But overall, it's pretty impressive to me uh, how the good has has shined through for him. And I, I think we he, he is forcing the uh, franchise and everybody who has hated on him to take a long, hard look at him. Ultimately, I think you're right. Um, I keep forgetting he's in a contract year. Like, I never I remember that about him. I don't know why. You must not be um, looking at our Excel spreadsheet enough. I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm really not. Day, so. I'm looking at all the, the people coming off, but I should be. I'm looking at the big, the big contracts. Uh-huh. Um, but I think we talked about this. So we all went to the game on MLK Day. Um, and I think after the game, we all mentioned this is like the most prototypical Dylan Brooks game ever where everybody looked dead and he was the only guy that could get a bucket. And he kept getting buckets. He did a great job, played decent defense. He was on Ingram. I feel like he and Jaron kind of split the time there. Um, but then again, like he kept you in a game. And people have mentioned this before too. Like he's sometimes he's the only thing going that night. And if that's the case, then like he can really keep you in a game. And that being said, he can kind of shoot you out of it too. He didn't do that in New Orleans, but he can do that. But yeah, the the good point is in crunch time, I it got passed to the corner. I forgot. So this is the the shot you were talking about that he took, the ill-advised shot. Um, so we kind of pressed it. I think Ja maybe got it on the break and kicked it to the corner, maybe to Melton. I'm not sure who it was. He swung it to DB on the wing, and there was one more swing to Jaron, who swing. was trailing Tony Allen. And I feel like Jaron trailing for a three is like, if you could give me any shot in that scenario, it'd be Jaron trailing for a three. And Dylan does this like pump fake into like a three, like fading away. It was like a really bad shot. Um, and he missed it. And I feel like you have to have, if you're going to be in that type of situation, down the road, if you, when it really gets winning time, I know we're young and stuff, we're all kind of learning what to do. And Jenkins has mentioned this, like we're reviewing film with Dylan. We're seeing like, hey, where can you improve your shots? Like right now I'm just letting him go, obviously. He's letting him go. Um, but he said that, and I think this could be, an opportunity to sit Dylan down and be like, man, you got to swing here. You got to like pick your head up, like chin up a little bit, uh, look around the floor, maybe look for a better shot. Yes, you can get that shot. He can get that shot whenever he wants. I'm like pump fake step back three. Um, but yeah, I think that was like the perfect Dylan game. Yeah. It showed the good. And then at the end it showed the bad. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think you kind of got to take that at this point. If he's going to give you 31, you may have to take a bad shot towards the end of the game. Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting things, too, with him is he's a player where I think confirmation bias is a really big thing for Grizz fans right now with him, where 
we've all gotten i think there's a there's a certain understood level of frustration uh that Grizzlies fans have with Dylan Brooks and so we tend to only see the bad For when sure. they happen and we sometimes will just like act like the good is just an anomaly. For sure. Whereas for Ja right now, it's almost as if it's the opposite way. Where if he does something bad, we almost forget about it until because we expect him to do something good every single time. Yep. Um. So I guess just for I personally, I will be attempting to watch Dylan Brook with as open of mind as possible. Man, good for you. That's from great. this point forward. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Maybe not. The, this might not be a an entire podcast thing, but uh. I at least am going to try. I'm going to give Dylan a chance here. I couldn't have said that about two weeks ago. Yeah, but yeah, I I don't know if we want to get into this more with the Pelicans game or not because <clears throat> he certainly helped us stay in the game. Definitely. But if I remember correctly, you know he had a he had a um, two point conversion um, that he you know made a three point attempt on or a, an M one on. But other than that, I think in the fourth quarter maybe he was he wasn't as prevalent. As the rest of the team was, I need to. I, we can pull up the breakdowns here in a second. The, some of the other team, I think, was kind of helping pull us back in, and then he took that double clutch three. And I don't know. I think some of that stuff, I, Ty, you've made the points a couple times that those are just sort of the way he is at times. And I don't know if you can break that. And I've argued for Dylan a lot, and and think we, uh, depending on the right contract, maybe should should keep him. But I left that arena feeling really down because I just I um I try to be sort of moderate in my emotions towards all players except for Ja just because I feel like I have Michael Jordan on my team even though I really know he's not Michael Jordan but I'm gonna treat him in my head like who's he is. to say yeah he may be who knows <laughs> you know there was that one stat and I was like yeah I'm in but <laughs> with Dylan that just I don't know I sometimes I wonder if it's like maybe some sometimes our intuition may be right and it's just a feeling that a lot of Grizz fans really have. It just doesn't, it just, sometimes it just doesn't feel right. It's like, you know, when you dated like girls, like growing up and it's like, it just didn't feel right. And you should, you waited too long to break up with her. And then you're like, man, I really, sh- I really <laughs> should have caused that earlier. Sometimes I wonder if that's Dylan. It's like, it just, you know, he's having a great year. He's scoring a lot. He's doing some great things, but it just doesn't, sometimes it just doesn't feel right. And See, I don't know what it is. And it's weird. I think that is the, almost the main issue because you, like you said, we're going to have to pay in. So the contract stuff can get it. We'll talk about that later down the road. That's a long way away. But with his role in this team, if he's going to get starting two guard money for the next four, three, four, hopefully not five years, but if he's going to get that type contract, you don't want to feel that way, right? Like I don't want to give him starting two guard money or three guard. It's, that's I what it's going to be. Him. Again, yeah, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, I, yeah, that's that's what. I'm out. Yeah, that's. That's when it gets uncomfortable. <laughs> All right, before we go game to game, and we'll do that quickly, but any any more high-level stuff? So I got one thing. Um, so I haven't been on the last few pods, so I kind of wanted to just talk about the last 12 games or so, um, including the last two losses. So I pulled this stuff up today, and I want to talk about fourth quarters, um, winning time, as they say. So just some really interesting stuff. So last this last 12 games – just in the fourth quarter, we lead the league in scoring with 32 points per fourth. Um, we lead the league in field goal percentage at roughly almost 55% from the field, which is nuts. Uh, we're fifth in three-point percentage, and that's with Jay Crowder shooting like 
zero percent from three <laughs> in the last good, twelve so in the fourth. Yeah, absolutely. Let he feels, he yeah, feels great. He feels great. Yeah. Um, so the most important thing I wanted to bring to everyone's attention in the fourth quarter's last twelve games, we're leading the league in points, like I said. Um, percentage, everything's awesome. Guess who our two leading scores are in the fourth? Obviously, everybody knows Ja. Dylan? <laughs> joking. Wish. I'm joking. Guess who takes the most shots per fourth? <laughs> Your boy, Dylan. But two leading scores, Ja. JV? Jaron. Oh. oh, Triple J. Triple J, believe J. J. it or not. So, Ja, eight points per fourth in this 12-game stretch. He's averaging 12 Sorry, that's different. Never mind. I'll come back to that. Eight points per fourth at about 10 minutes. So he's playing uh, most of the fourth. Um, 60, almost 63% from the field, 57% from three. That's Jaw talking. That's nuts. Morant? Oh, yeah, that guy. Okay. That guy. Jaron is five and a half points a game. Doesn't sound like a lot, but he's playing less than seven minutes per fourth. Um, I guess he's kind of getting subbed out because he usually plays the full, the full third quarter and gets subbed out at the beginning of the fourth. Anyway... So he's second, um, shooting 62.5% from the field, 50% from three. Again, this is 12 games. That's like a decent stretch. Um, Jaws taking 12 shots per game total. This is all quarters. Eight of them come in the fourth. Isn't that nuts? That's nuts. He's taking a shot a quarter, or eh, roughly a little over a shot a quarter. Until the fourth. Until the fourth. Yeah. And then he just – so the thing I thought of is how – and people have mentioned this too, like CP3 – when you would see him in L.A. with the Clippers, he was like kind of weaving his way through the game, getting other people involved, trying to get the flow. And in the fourth quarter, his little pick and roll with his little pull-up at the free-throw line was just stupid. And I've heard some people mention, like, I think Harrington had a, a write-up this week about how Jaws, like, craftiness. Um, and, like, he's a gamer, kind of, like, plays into, like, the CP3 type stuff. And that's just what came to mind, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then again, I wanted to mention, yeah, Dylan is leading in shot attempts in the fourth. And I just, I don't, I don't think that should happen, but so our go-tos in the fourth quarter should be John Jaron. Yeah. Two 20 year olds, which is another crazy thing. Like when it comes down to it, like the, the T wolves game, this was probably maybe a few weeks back, but it was just him and Jaron, John Jaron pick and roll time after time after time. And they kept getting a bucket. And that's just super encouraging to see a 20-year-old rookie and a 20-year-old second-year player basically taking over the fourth quarter, which is just nuts. So you're putting stats to my emotions, which is awesome. That's what I'm here we for. We did not plan this. Uh, that was sort of the intuition. I was, that's why I like on that swing pass why I leave. When, when Dylan doesn't swing that to Jaron. Who's shooting bit, 50% who, from three in the past 12 games in the fourth quarter. And I think on that trailing three, that's his highest percentage shot that he has, like, in general, besides, yeah. like, a dunk. Yep. Give Like, we're down five points at that game, at that point in the time, I think, had come back from a 20-point deficit. That gives us a chance to cut it to two. And it just um, – it's a, just one little play, but – it just, I haven't gotten over it. Can I make a quick comp real quick? Maybe. On Dylan, <laughs> Dylan to me. J.R. Smith. His optimal Whoa. potential. Just kidding. Marcus Smart. I thought of that when watching the Celtics game. He, to me, he's going to be Marcus Smart, except a little bit more on offense, a little bit less on defense yeah. than Marcus Smart is. But 
you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who didn't play last night. But to me, those two guys are going to be – they have Kimba, too. They're ridiculous. They're really good. They're really They're good. They're a great team. But two of those – let's just say two out of the three, you morph them together, you have John, Jaron. But then Marcus Smart is that heartbeat of the team. But then if he takes a shot, if he takes too many shots, it's maddening because it's not his role. He can. That's yeah. that's the comp for he me. He can win Celtics you a game. Fans, and he can lose you a game. He's a really polarizing player on the Celtics. Yeah, yeah. Like on the Simmons pod, I think he said like Marcus Smart is at his best when he shoots it like he's three for seven from the field and has like ten points, but he has like five steals and he just locks up the other guy. Like I don't think there's been a game where Dylan has had that type of stat line. I, I also think he's going to get a similar contract as Marcus Smart. I think he Smart got 50 million what? over four or something like that. Yeah. But we'll see. I, that's just something that okay. popped into my head. I think that I think that's an interesting comp. Yeah. I Marcus Smart isn't a starter there. I guess he started in Jalen Brown's mm-hmm. place, but yeah, he's the sixth sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what their lineups are. But anyway, okay, let's uh let's go game by game and let's do this quickly because we touched on a lot of stuff. Uh, just then, but let's start with Houston. We we uh, we were freaking out. Amazing. We had to record. Amazing. Afterwards, uh, any 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 takeaways besides that was just like the best game ever. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from it. Uh, meaning like how awesome the win was. I do want to maybe bring a little bit of interest, maybe just objectivity in the sense that the Rockets are really struggling. They're two Mm. and five in their last seven. Context matters. Um, Looking back, I'm not exactly sure how much that win in this stretch of who this Rockets team is right now will really matter. They're really going through something again. Um, And so as much it is really awesome, and I think it really set off um, our team and, you know, a lot of the fan base catching on. And then, you know, the, the other uh, – I think the thing that was really fun as a fan just to kind of see follow was we sort of, I think, been on this kind of um, uh, on the edge of a cliff in the sense of just falling off to where the national media just kind of catches on and, like, everybody's talking about it. So, like, that next week after the Rockets win, you had all the ringer pods. You had all these national pe- media folks coming on. Um, you know, Bill even references some of the – Moments in the Rockets game um, on his podcast uh, with Cousin Sal and uh, – not Cousin Sal. Um, who's the golf guy? I can't think of. Joe House. Head. Yeah, Joe House and uh, – Ryan Rosillo. Uh, Rosillo talking about who would make the All-Star game. And he's just like, yeah, Joe's going to get in and you know, sort of tell us about they think, those things just because of how high profile he is. So winning at Houston – or winning against Houston allows that to happen. That's sort of my, like, takeaway after, like – I mean, it's still awesome. I don't yep. – Want to poo poo on it too much, but probably the highlight of the, of the year that Definitely. isn't a isn't a dunk for yeah. Ja with the step back. So against Harden, yeah, Brantley, you kind of just said it about like the feel, like it propelled us. I haven't like watching that game. That's I think I texted y'all while y'all were potting, and I was like, just stop it now and turn the TV on. I haven't like felt like that during a game in a long time. I honestly don't remember. The last time, like watching Ja hit like a step back three and just talk all this shit mm. to everybody, it was unbelievable. Like I would do anything for that guy, and that's so. I kind of want to mention this too. Like the dude led that whole game. Like everyone was looking at Ja, and Ja was like, "Get on my back. I'm all for it." I just I haven't felt like that watching the game. Just like the excitement, the emotion, and you're just like, "Man, this is it." You talked about like national media people, um, Zach Lowe, ESPN, isn't it Zach? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Zach Lowe. 
I think you said something like he led his podcast basically with like Memphis is for real. We may lose 10 in a row. I have no idea. But after like that game, everyone was like, damn. And it was NBA TV. It was semi-nationally televised. And yeah, I think in the big game jaw thing that Brantley was talking about, that it couldn't have been timed better. Because like that game, he was 9 for 10 or 10 for 11. 10 for 11. Yeah. Shot 91%. So I saw a shot chart between him and Harden, like comparing those games with the misses that they had, and it was comical. You should, y'all should look that up. It's insane. Well, maybe we'll post that later. Um, yeah, but Harden just, in that game was nuts. thirteen for thirty-seven from the field, five for nineteen from three. Had forty-one points. Eric Gordon had twenty-three. Russell Westbrook wasn't playing, but at the end of the day, just a giant win on yeah. a huge stage. Yeah, and so, he matched the season high in points. He yeah. scored thirty against Brooklyn. That was an overtime. He's done 26 one other time. He did 26 uh, in this game. You know, it was big time. Yeah. And so the thing about Harden, too, I mean, got to give Dylan credit. Was he not guarding him he most was, of the time? Him and was. Melton were kind of switching back and forth. Melton did a great job, too. I swear his arms are 17 feet long. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this on the podcast before. They're actually, he has a six foot nine wingspan. It's unreal. It's but them two trading Stats. off on Harden. I, yeah, I, th- I think Dylan did a great job. Yeah, that was it. Was fun. It was so and much fun. We, uh, it wasn't a one and done performance. We followed it up in the next game. Let's talk about the Cleveland, Cleveland game. Uh, Ty, you got something? So I'll go quick. So the Cleveland game. I think um, guest of the pod, Peter, first name basis. Haven't met him. Um, he had mentioned that like man, the the Grizz. This is like a good team win. What I mean by that is they played really bad in the first half, had a humongous third quarter. You remember when the Warriors would be like tied with us back when like Lance Stevenson was starting and they would have like some 20 plus advantage in the third quarter and the game was over? Like that's essentially what happened with Cleveland. We, it kind of got tight towards the fourth and we made a lot of plays. Who kept making those plays? John Jaron did. But that made me think, like, man, we like this is we're a team now. Like, we're not like it's just amazing that if you think of preseason stuff and where we projected to be and how you would never think this team would be able to like close a game where they played poorly. And that's like exactly what happened at Cleveland. Like, we didn't play well, but we like had a huge push in the third quarter and we closed the game and we won. And that's like what good teams do to lesser opponents. And that's what we did. Yeah, I think one thing that just um, looking back at sort of as I was watching it and some of the things I was thinking about was it just felt like our bench was keeping us afloat in this game. I think when you look at the box, excuse me, I think when you look at the box score is one thing that really becomes apparent, meaning like Brandon Clark had 15 points, Grayson Allen had 11. And I think that those were big points too. They weren't, they were in big moments throughout the game they weren't um there 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 was a period of time when the, when the game was close and so um th- that's one thing that that was exciting for me as I was watching it I think it kind of felt like maybe Grayson was going to pop in that game and maybe put up 20 or something like that he he didn't um still maybe waiting on that that type of effort to happen maybe consistently from him but um I think you know decent to good teams pull out wins like this where you 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 give up a lead and this is something to talk about on on the Pels um game coming up but 
this new NBA, uh, uh, Vernon and KOC talked about this on the mismatch on Tuesday, where it's like a 20-point lead is not what it used to be. And, um, you know, the the Cavs didn't get back in the game. We, we weren't necessarily up um, uh, 20. But, you know, they sort of came back came back um, in a third-quarter run, um, uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, in the fourth, fourth quarter. Because we, we annihilated them in the third, 38-20. to 20, And then their fourth – they actually won the fourth quarter, like 33-21. to 21, So they made it – they got it and real we close. We just spinning them off, yeah. So yep. I think it's uh, – I, I don't know. I can't remember the point I was exactly making, but – I mean, it's, lead is safe, and you have you have to like right, right. nut up into the game, and we did it. Yeah, and uh, one of the things, I mean, I know that the dunk, the alley oop from Jay Crowder to Ja was the one that almost broke the internet that night. Uh, to me, the more impressive highlight was when uh, Ja in midair caught what looked like was going to be an alley oop, and like had it cocked back, and then all of a sudden like changed. Contorted his body to hit Jaron coming right down the lane, trailing, and Jaron just rocked the rim. Um, just I felt like I think he got blocked, right? Well, no, that, that was the behind the back, which was stupid. There's so many highlights stupid. that were mixing them up. That's that's the point here. Uh, but they're just and that was like in a six game minute span. Yes, ex- yes, it's unbelievable. I remember I was not able to watch that half, but I remember getting like multiple texts from my father-in-law who actually does stats for the Grizzlies. Shout out. Between timeouts, he'll text me, did you see that job play? Did you see that one? <laughs> that was the dunk of the year. Just like multiple texts. It was it was great. And, so, I knew. and, to, and to be a fan uh, of the NBA in general, which all of us are, and a lot of folks that listen to this podcast are, and then to now have the Grizzlies, during the grit and grind era, we loved our team you know, as, as much as we could. And I think, um, the kind of maybe Memphis persona of, of maybe being the underdog, we embellished it, but we also hoped that they would become this darling that people would talk about a lot. And it happened, like we talked about this with Peter, it happened occasionally where you'd have the really dorky or intense discussions when yep. maybe content is a little less talk about the grit and grind Grizzlies and what makes them so good and pay attention to Conley and like all this, the like, Zach Lowe, Mark Gasol all-star stuff. But Ja and what he's able to do with Jaron and, and Brandon on a night to night basis, real, it really um, climax, if you will, um, between um, the Rockets and Cavaliers games where there was multiple highlights back to back for Ja to do those things in the Cleveland game you so had, much freedom. You had ex NBA players talking about it, him getting that type of love, leading into him um, uh, releasing a shoe for Nike. Yep. I mean, you know, it's it's okay to even though we're on a two and two stretch to kind of look at back at these wins and be like, man, a lot of really awesome Absolutely. stuff is happening, and continue to celebrate it as you're sort of watching the the team unfold together. And it's not just all about job, but I mean, he's he's a linchpin for the team. So, up to this point, since we've done this podcast, I don't feel like there's been a major dip, and now I sort of feel like we might be experiencing that. Okay, yeah. I was going to get to that later in the pod, for sure. I think we should talk about it. Time is now. Okay. All right. Let's start with New Orleans. We were all there. We were really excited. I don't know if you follow us on Instagram. We gave you some keys to the game. 
in the flying saucer. They were before. so accurate. Every <laughs> one of them. We, we I didn't mean, hit any of the keys. Yeah. The Grizzlies did not make it happen. They did. I, I, fault, I will say, ours. I will say, I said, you know, both teams were just top six in pace and whoever shot more efficiently uh, would Boy, win the game. Day, though. Uh, yeah, little did I know that New Orleans would shoot 60% from the field for an effective field goal percentage and that Nicolo Melli would just not miss and Drew Holiday would have the quietest but most solid 36 points I've almost ever seen live. I mean, they annihilated this yep. team after the first quarter apart from those last five minutes. So, I mean... It was- it was a perfect storm, though. It was. I don't think any – we couldn't have done anything to change the outcome. Like, they, they hit 15 threes in the first half, right? Mm-hmm. Like, over 20 for the game. Yeah, that's – I mean, that's just really tough. I agree. But the lineups – I feel like the lineups are kind of tough. I agree. I don't know. To a point. I also think that we were, we were saying it, too. As soon as we got in the game and realized that Derek Favors was out – and realized that Jackson Hayes was their starting center. Yeah, we were saying Jaron and Jonas need to dominate, and they that seemed to be their game plan. They started yeah. out by feeding the post every time. We went to Jaron the first three or four possessions, and he was like one of four. Yes, on and, and yep. we kept missing. But to a point, it almost felt as though we were forcing it down there enough to where we got out of rhythm offensively, and then every time we would even. Uh, just try to make a comeback. It felt like they a bigger hit. staff coached game. I'll say that. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt that way where you were kind of puzzled. Uh, it felt like we were trying to slow it down. We were trying to go away from what has made us successful mm. due to matchups. We yeah. tried to like play a matchup and our thought, it seemed like, which I wasn't obviously not in the coaching staff, so I don't really know for sure, but it seemed like, Hey, Jaron has an advantage down low on Brandon Ingram, so we're just going to do that every time. Not And just the whole thought of like, oh, wait a second, Jaron's also shooting 50% from three and kind of abandoned that whole concept. Yeah. And I feel like the ball was not in Jaw's hands. No, that, that was that's the big key to me. But just before we get to Jaw, yeah, that's one of those things, though, where do you almost play that matchup and see what happens to Jaron and let him learn through it? Even though he is more right now shooting more effectively, yeah, you could say from outside the arc, it was. Do we chalk it up to a learning experience, or do we chalk it up to a coaching decision that should have been different? Right, you know? and I, th- I think for this team to be great, we got to learn how to like win different ways. Like we need to know how to play different styles to like win a game. Like Golden State, obviously, Golden State was like a team of a generation, but they could win so many different ways. Get them in the half court. They could not care less. They could do whatever they wanted in the half court. Speed up the pace, great. They loved it. So I think we need to be able to, because obviously we're really high in pace, and that's where we're at our best is when we're pushing it and running. Not running, but like kind of the classic coach term, selective running. And it's the dump. What does that mean? Anyway. <laughs> Big smart I, about Yeah, I, guess. I feel like we need to be able to play different ways and kind of play matchups, but I don't think we're there yet. But we tried it. I think one of the things that was – to your point on the whole JB thing, what was frustrating there being live is that there were definitely a couple of players that just didn't feel like they should have been in the game period. 
Who? Well, it would uh, the 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 awesome fan sitting behind us would disagree. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to get to his analysis in a second because yeah, his analysis was incredible. But like JV, for instance, there was no point in him being on the floor as as bad as that sounds. Like I really feel like we should have gone maybe ultra small. Given I know, but like even given Brandon Clark even more minutes than what he had. Um, he was a little bit above, I think, his per-game average, but it wasn't significant. Um, I would have liked to have seen that because I think it just would have made sense from an, a, a, a flow perspective. And I'm not – I don't know. I, I think when you look at the numbers, it's maybe a little deceiving. But, like, for instance, like I, I would have been more comfortable, for instance, with someone like Kyle Anderson getting a little totally. bit more minutes and playing maybe the – who's he guarding um, that's kind of where JV was guarding someone type scenario just because I think he can handle it with a little bit of he could. We should have had him on Melly. Yeah. like it After just, Melly hit his second three, that should have been or interesting. Or just not help so much. Like, I feel like our bigs are just, like, under the basket. He, yeah. It, I mean, you know, it's just The whole pick and roll philosophy in that game they killed, killed us. us. They and killed it us. kills us with JV. And um, it when you have a guy like Drew Holiday doing what he's doing – um, making ridiculous shots on his own, you have to take away some of the other easy buckets. And I don't think we were making it easy from a lineup perspective and who we, you know, play the matchups, do whatever. You, if you want to get Jaron reps underneath the basket where he's doing pretty decent from some of those shots You're and, right. and letting him have some big game moments, um, trying to, to, you know, take it at a perennial all-star, then that's awesome. But on the other f- side of the court, it just, some of the stuff just didn't make sense. Ja on Drew Holiday, I don't know if there was a good matchup, but, Dude was kid was getting lit up. So Great is that point. what your is that a teaching moment? Right. Or is that just a let's see if that's our best way to win type scenario? I don't know. It it, it just there was some maybe I don't hypocritical is maybe exaggerating it, but it just sort of felt just a little off from what we I think have come to see as smart decisions throughout the season. There just right. there's a couple things that just to the eye just didn't make sense. One of the things that stood out to me was how dead it was in that arena. And it was packed. It was there were a almost lot of people a sellout. You could hear that one dude yelling from across no one knows what the he arena. Said. Nobody could understand it, but you could hear one person distinctly that was on the complete opposite side that we were sitting. Um, just the energy felt, it was just, like you said, it off. It was very weird. That is the perfect word to describe it. Yeah, off. and we, had, we were just waiting because Grayson had some... I think alley-oop or some kind of dunk. No, it was where basically someone had it under the basket, fed it to Grayson. He was just running full speed and just threw one down. And we were still down like 16. It was like but six people minutes went left. Nuts. Yeah. People went nuts. They it were just like wanting finally, something to happen. Yeah. yeah. And that, I think it's time to talk about, Ja was almost invisible for three quarters. And I, he, You're right. as we've said, the linchpin, he is also the source of energy. He's everything. I was going to talk about that earlier. I don't want to go too much into it because I think it may be like eye test more than like other things, but we go as he goes. And honestly, in this last stretch where we won a lot of games, that's because Ja was freaking awesome. Ja, like, and again, yeah, I keep going back to the Houston game. Like the dude let, like from the start of the game, he walked on the floor and he was like, "This is like this is it." Do you remember how many points he had through three quarters in Houston? No, in the Pels game. Ooh, was it five? 
I'm going to say four. It wasn't three. One. Yeah. Three. He had three points. Now he had like seven assists. How many yeah. shot attempts? Uh, can you can I you know that? Mental math yet? I can get that in, in a second. Okay. But still, I feel in a game. Uh, you, we released some of the kind of big game stuff and maybe just sort of trying to predict some some uh, things that could come from him. And now it's sort of come out that he's sick and I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. which could have been influencing it because he did just seem off. He did. It just I was just expecting him to be a little bit more cutthroat. Um, yep. He he. Honestly, the energy that he brought, we didn't mention this um, in the Cavs game, the whole Murray State thing. If I can just go uh, to that really quickly. Oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. That was the awesome. organization kind of aligning with setting that up to bring um, uh, kind of like that whole scenario for Murray State fans to come and be there. Seeing those pictures was awesome. Um, hopefully we could get some Murray State fans listening to the podcast. Maybe if you listen by chance and, you know, want to come on the pod and talk about what it was like watching him in college, um, slide into our DMs. That'd be amazing. Um, we'll bring you on. <laughs> but the energy that he brought in that game, which I thought he in Cleveland for a second, he was overexerting himself. And it sort of felt like to me because all those fans were there. You saw all these videos of him walking into the stands, talking to people pregame, which is a little bit of a um, not a good routine, in my opinion, of what you should be doing maybe pregame. And then the way that he was on the court just a day and a half or you know two days later or whatever was so jarringly different to me. And I think that you can sort of see that in some of the numbers. He was definitely getting players involved. And then he did just sort of flip a switch in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he finally showed up. That and cross, he – I don't even know how he did this. Someone, like, set a pick, and he was below the free throw line. Went, bet- like, crossover, right hand to left hand, between the legs, like, stopped on a dime, crossed over, all one motion. I'm trying to do this, like, yeah. as I'm talking. <laughs> we'll release the video later. He, like, got – again, this was – below the free throw line. This is like in the paint. And he like crossed. It was melee because the dude can't go. We should have taken advantage of him in the pick and roll time after time after time. We didn't. We, yeah, he like came off, crossed over melee and all one motion, like never touched it with two hands straight into the layup. And we all looked at each other and we were like, where has that been for the last 30 odd minutes of game time? Where has it been? Yeah. So he had seven attempts from the field. Through okay. three quarters. That's actually more than I thought. I mean, yeah. to be honest, it didn't feel like he had seven. It didn't. But he had seven in the, in fourth, the fourth quarter. Yeah. And Drew Holiday probably had a little bit to do and so, with yeah, that. Yeah, he, he's a great defender. He's unbelievable defender. So, he's also like 6'5". And it sounds like we're sort of being critical of Ja, and I guess we are. And He's earned it, though. It's also like sort of like what we've come to expect throughout the yeah. season, which is like a really fun thing to just sort of hit on. And it just speaks to his talent and the that you know asset or you know the awesome stuff that we get to cheer for you know for a long period of time hopefully so the criticism like yeah criticizing Ja in this game is all due to the utmost respect like he's earned oddly that's weird to say but he's like earned criticism yeah no that's the thing he's earned the nitpicks yes because yeah. he's that he's been that special. Because when you look at his stat line, you know, people just who maybe didn't pay attention to the full game and you go just go and look at it, he, he ended with, you know, 16 points, nine assists, so really close to a double-double, had a steal, which is right at his season average, only had two turnovers. 
You're like, oh, Very he impressive. got he had six free throw attempts. You know, it was five or six from the field. So it's like, I mean, that's a pretty good stat line. Yeah. But that's his season average. And I think we've, I mean, we've sort of expected him to do something different in games like that. Yeah. Uh, okay, we've we've talked for a while already on this first segment, which was warranted because uh, there was a lot to, a lot to talk about. But let's really quickly just talk about the game that we saw last night. Um, Boston just it was twenty seven twenty five in favor of Memphis after the first quarter. Boston then had two quarters in which in the second quarter they outscored Memphis thirty three to seventeen. Then the third quarter was even worse, forty one to nineteen. Um, really depressing yeah. as a whole. Uh, not much to even take away except for number one, the Celtics are really good, and also our volume shooters, uh, Jay Crowder and Dylan Brooks, who we just, uh, who I just two talked very highly about, went two for fourteen. Jaws one for five. So I mean that. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel like a night where anybody except maybe Jonas uh, showed up. And yeah. uh, I think I was talking to Brantley earlier about this. Um, I think the next game against Detroit, if we come out as flat as we did in the previous two games, that's when you sort of raise the flag for concern. I'm not yet ready to press the panic button on this team after two losses that were admittedly very bad. Yep. I'm just going to give it time because they've earned it. I think, yeah, Boston is just so much better than we are. It's true. And that couldn't have been more obvious. Even without game. some of their star players. Yeah, even without Jalen Brown. Yeah, even without Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown, if you're list- please listen to this pod and just forfeit your contract and come to Memphis. And Jason I'll, Tatum. I'll do whatever it takes. He's listening. <laughs> he told me yesterday. Actually. He would be the ultimate Grizz. But Jay- anyway, it Jason was Jason Tatum had 23 points and got injured in the third quarter. Yeah, and didn't he even played play like the 18 quarter, minutes. And he was their leading scorer. Yeah. So that just shows you how bad. And Marcus, they are. so this was a classic Marcus Smart game. Like the dude, I don't know how many points he had. I'm not 12 looking points, at it. 12 points, six He dominated six the game. Yeah. He dominated the game. Yeah, he did. If someone was trying to score at all, he was just like, I got him and took over the game. Uh, Jaron had one of those weird, like a bunch of touches, 10 points in the first quarter and didn't touch it again until like the middle of the third. Or something like we didn't get him the ball. Of course, we try to like run him off a screen and get him an open three at some point. But I think all the Boston game was is they're just a lot better than we are, and we kind of like gas. Jaw just kind of looked out of it, and again, that just we go as Jaw goes. It couldn't be more apparent in that game and the Pelicans game. I know we're over that one, but yeah, we go as Jaw goes. It's true, and that's the moral of the story. I think. Uh, okay, we have a really great interview coming up for you guys, David Cobb. Formerly with the Commercial Appeal, he was the Grizzlies beat writer until about a month ago. Uh, we got him on to talk about his experience covering the team the past couple years. Um, just a great guy. I really enjoyed the conversation. And right before we get to that interview, we're going to take a minute to pause for our sponsor. This episode of the Grizzden Pod is sponsored by Katie Davidson Homes with Coldwell Banker. Katie is known for her expertise in home aesthetics and getting Memphis homes sold quickly for top dollar, even after other agents have previous, previously attempted and failed. Did you know that on average, Memphis home values have increased by close to 5% just in the previous year? If you're looking to take advantage of the current market trends by buying or selling, give Katie a call at 901-604-4926. She knows the market and loves working with clients through the buying and selling process to reach their real estate goals. One client had this to say about working with her. 
This is the second opportunity I had to use Katie's expertise and professionalism. I would recommend Katie to anyone wishing to buy or sell real estate. Right from the start, Katie guides you through the process, decision points, and final negotiations. Her talent for staging and updates helped sell my property in just two days. Two days, ladies and gentlemen. Again, give Katie Davidson with Coldwell Banker a call at 901-604-4926 for all of your Memphis real estate needs. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. He was uh, the Grizzlies beat writer until very recently. He is now covering college basketball and fo- football in a new gig for CBS Sports. He is David Cobb. David, welcome to the Grizz Den podcast. Hey, happy to be on. How are you guys doing? Doing great, man. Thanks. Uh, we're excited to... Uh, talk all things Grizz and excited to get your perspective uh, as you were um, with the team uh, the past I guess it was were you there uh, around two years is that right yeah about a year and a half total uh, so really not all that long when you think about that the guy before me was Ron Tillery and he did it for like 17 years uh, so I'm a, I'm a short timer um, actually that's how <laughs> Pete, Pr- Pete Pranica I think uh, put it that way um, but uh, yeah it was it was a blast. I mean, kind of a dream come true, and um, it's bittersweet moving on. But I'm still here in Memphis. I still watch every game. Oh, good. Um, you know, and, and in fact, I, I still I still go to some games too. So um, I'm still following what's going on. I had, I had a blast covering the team for the last year and a half, no doubt. Yeah. So, as just a little bit of background on you, how did you uh, end up on the the Grizzlies beat? I guess go I guess back to uh, college and and what you studied, and then make your way to the the Grizzlies beat from there. Yeah, I went to the University of Tennessee, uh, which I know is um, somewhat uh, not ideal for a lot of Grizzlies fans, but I know there are a lot of Grizzlies fans who are Tennessee fans, too. Uh, I'd like to think that I, that I introduced Knoxville to the Grizzlies to a certain extent. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I studied <laughs> thanks. Uh, I studied uh, journalism there and, uh, you know, just started out like, you know, it's like nowadays there are there's a million different ways to get into it. Like, you know, the, you can you can do blogging, you can do... Uh, podcasting on your own, you know, like you guys do. There's any number of ways that you can sort of start to get your name out there. But I took what I describe as like the very like 90s path into it, which is like you work at the student newspaper and you work your way up from covering volleyball to then covering some women's basketball and then you get a chance to cover some football and then you get an internship at the local paper, you know. That was kind of like the path that I took. Um, and uh, so anyway, whenever I um, got the job here in Memphis covering the Grizzlies, I was uh, I was covering University of Tennessee football and basketball for the paper in Chattanooga, um, and uh, this opportunity came up. and I grew up in Memphis. I grew up following the Grizzlies. I grew up reading the Commercial Appeal, and I'd always kind of thought to myself, "Wow, it would be cool to cover the beat one day." But you know, I, I figured that if that opportunity ever came, it would be much you know further down the line. But uh, it, everything just sort of lined up perfectly for me to have that opportunity, and um, yeah, so I, I got to do it. I, I mean. Kind of got to you know to see my dream through there uh, for a little bit. So yeah, I took the traditional path, but um, if there's any aspirants, you don't have to start out on the student newspaper covering the volleyball beat. There's any number of ways into it. That just happens to be the way I did. Yeah, and uh, being on the beat, I know that's a very it's a very unique. It's kind of a the boots on the ground uh, guy for uh, whoever you're you're working for. How I, that had to come with its fair share. Um, of highs and lows, kind of advantages, but also also struggles. What was 
How would you summarize the experience overall being on the beat? Yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you know, this is how to get your boots on the ground. So you're at, um, you, know, you So when when I say I'm at practice, like I don't sit in and see them practice for two or two and a half hours or whatever, and you know, get to see the intricacies of what they're working on to practice. Today, I went to practice. It means I went and saw you know, kind of shooting around for 15 minutes at the tail end, and then got to do some interviews. But to the extent that that's going to practice, you go to almost every practice, um, and then you uh, a lot of times on game days. As long as it's not a back-to-back, they have a shoot-around. And so you go to shoot-around in the morning, and it's the same thing. You get to see them for a little bit at the tail end of the shoot-around. And you talk to the coach, and, and if you want to talk to a player or two, you can. And then you come back for the game, and the game and the locker room is open before the game um, for you to talk to players for, for half an hour if they happen to be in the locker room. Um, so, you know, it just amounts to a lot of things you have to be at, um, which in no way is a complaint because – uh, the NBA is way better about media access rules than most other uh, leagues and definitely better than college sports. I mean, the amount of access and FaceTime and legitimate like human interaction that you have with the players and the coaches far exceeds that uh, which you have in college. So um, it's it's a lot different because for me, uh, you know, I've been in that tightly controlled uh, media environment covering Tennessee for a long time where you kind of get to know the players but not really – uh, but now in, in this role, you know, I mean, I, I got to legitimately like build relationships with players to a certain extent, not to where like we text, you know, every night, nothing like that. That's, that's a, that would be, you know, um, disingenuous for me to portray it like that, but you do get to know them a little bit more than just guy with a camera in your face sort of thing. Um, yeah, so really, I think that's really, that's really cool, you know, to, yeah. um, you know, that like, I don't know, I feel like if I passed Marcus all, in a hallway somewhere, like, he would probably recognize me, you know? Yeah. Like, so, uh, anyway, I guess that's sort of how it goes. But with that comes responsibility because, you know, if you just, if you just blog about the Grizzlies or you have a, a, you know, have a bunch of Twitter followers who enjoy your tweets about the Grizzlies or whatever, you could put a player on blast and right. nobody cares. You know, like, you never have to see them. Like, it's, like, and that's, you know, sort of like the role of, you know, of those people but like for me, like I can't just go light up Jay Crowder because he's in a shooting slump, yeah, and then expect to go day. and talk yeah. to him the next day and yeah. like get anything useful out of it. So it's uh, you do have to sort of be respectful and mindful of those relationships. And the, and the positive side of that is is um, you know you get to uh, you either get a, like you know a really good quote, a really good story out of somebody, or you know something. I mean, it, chances are they're not going to give you the the big scoop on you know, their career moves or whatever, because Woj and Chums get all those, but I mean, there are, there are payoffs to being respectful and, and mindful of the way you, you know, sort of handle those relationships. Yeah. So really quickly, um, uh, maybe because you're only there for the first 15 minutes, it doesn't really, um, happen, but, uh, is there anything that sticks out in your mind in terms of, uh, something interesting that happened uh, in practice that you, you'd be willing to share? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's always interesting to me uh, after shoot-around. They did it every time last year, and, and Jaron started to try to get them to do it this year, where uh, they put money on, like, half-court shots. <laughs> and so, uh, like, Mike, Mike Conley was, like, the ringleader last year from what I could tell. Like, how much money? But... Uh, I mean, a, a lot more than I would put on a half court shot. Uh, Are we talking five hundred I mean, plus? I, 
I would, I would imagine so. I don't know for sure. Um, I'm pretty sure I've heard. I've heard. You can thousands, speculate. You know, yeah, we won't put you on record. Yeah, I've heard, I, I know that, that that there's at least been a thousand, you know, wagered uh, in that in that moment every before uh, that I witnessed. Yeah, I don't know if they go that high every practice or, or if the stakes, you know, fluctuate based uh-huh. on other factors. You know, if I had stayed on the beat longer, I might have tried to do a story on it. Not that I, I don't know how uh, if those guys would have wanted to necessarily uh, go on the record about how much money they currently <laughs> on their half court shots. Uh, but uh, that's definitely something that they do. And uh, well, from what I understand, it's fairly commonplace around uh, the NBA. And another one that, was, that I thought was interesting. Um, so when the Grizzlies were at the Jazz in December, and this was before they started really playing well, they, they were struggling. Um, Jaw had been out for like three or four games with the back spasms or whatever. And uh, they're in Utah, which is a really tough place to play. And they've been struggling. And, um, you know, like I think Dylan Brooks was sick. Like just not a lot was really going their way. And then at the end of shoot-around, um, Taylor Jenkins call, uh, called them together and explained this drill to them called defensive free throws. So he, uh, he had some name for it. It's a, it's a free throw-based drill um, where – the opposing team can go to whatever means necessary to like distract the free throw shooter. And so, I mean, they weren't just like, like saying things, but they were literally like making human pyramids, like (laughs) trying to, trying to, who did the most ridiculous thing? Yeah. Like Grayson Allen was running in a circle around the free throw shooter, like clothes on dog. Yeah. It was, you know, so you can't touch a free throw shooter. You can't like, you know, do anything like that, but you can just, literally do any sort of weird thing that you could imagine to distract them, uh, distract, you know, sort of their, their vision. And I mean, at one point they like, it's like the game of basketball, like, but, and, but like Taylor Jenkins <laughs> taking it to the, to the, to the NBA. Yeah. Okay. Hostile free throws. Yeah. That's what it was called. Hostile, hostile free, throws. free throws. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was hilarious. Like at one point, Jonas Valanciunas like threw John Morant in the air. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, I guess Jaws fine because I don't think they would have like thrown him in the air and just, and he was still like in bad shape. That's wild, um, man. That's that's <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> that is that's really cool, actually. Uh, so um, one of the, the the tweet that I uh, that really I guess puts you on the radar, at least for me, um, and probably a lot of other people was I remember around the time of the trade deadline uh, in twenty nineteen. Uh, there was a tweet that you had. I think it, I have it pulled up here. It was on February 5th, and it, it was, read into it what you will, but there is a trash bag next to Mark Gasol's locker partially filled, and the number 33 above his locker is not there anymore. Now, there was a report before then that the Grizzlies were uh, going to start shopping uh, Mike Conley and Mark Gasol, um, but I honestly don't think it was until that tweet that, that it really hit everyone that this thing um, that they had experienced for the past, you know, eight, nine seasons was coming to an end. Um, so I guess my question is, you got to cover the team during one of the biggest transitions in its history. Yeah. Um, how, how was uh, covering that, the experience overall, and how do you think, in your opinion, did the organization do uh, navigating through uh, that huge transition. It's unbelievable. A year later, and I know they're on a little two-game win, uh, lose, losing streak, but if you sort of forget about that for just a second and you think about where they are now, 
um, just as as a franchise versus where they were last year uh, around the time that I sent that tweet. I mean, it is unbelievable the way that they have turned this thing around. I mean, it's it's like they haven't missed on a move yet. It's it's remarkable because you know the the time around when they were trading or trying to trade Tomlin and Gasol, and they ended up trading Gasol. I mean, just the spirit of the of the locker room, of the team was, I mean, it was, I didn't have it at the time. I didn't have anything to compare it to because it was my first, you know, season covering an NBA beat. But as I look back on it now uh, versus how it was at the beginning of last season and how, it, how it's been recently in the Grizzlies locker room, I mean, that was a, a locker room that was really dejected that was searching for answers that um you know mark gasol just kept thinking he could fix it and, and by his own admission that was the case and he just came to the realization that, that he couldn't do it and um you know I, I i think it couldn't have played out i mean to this point you know almost any better than it has because you think about mark who we all love him about this he goes to toronto and wins went to ring um, then it might get gets traded to Utah and a contending team. And I know things haven't gone the way that he wanted them to, but just in terms of what they were able to do and getting those guys uh, to destinations that met their approval, um, I think was amazing. And the returns that they got for both of those guys were unbelievable as it turns out. And then of course you get the lottery luck and Josh has been, I mean, absolutely amazing. So yeah. it's just like night and day versus a year ago, which is truly, I mean, obviously there's still a lot of layers to this rebuild before it's anywhere, you know, close to a finished product. But the speed at which this has all you know, sort of come to fruition is, is it's unreal. I mean, I, mean I, I know we don't like to give him a lot of credit, but I guess we got to give Robert Parrish some credit for that. Yeah. Uh, how? What was the, like you said, it, it was – a time at which the um, the locker room kind of had the feeling of of dejection. They had had some. The season hasn't gone the way they had thought it would um, after a hot start. And then you said, you know, just about everything fell into place. What was the difference um, in, I guess, covering the team and the feeling you had um, just around the organization and the players? Because it was almost an entirely new locker room. Um, from when you yeah. started to uh, just a few short months ago um, when you were on the beat. So what were the differences from, from your, your point of view in the media and how it just felt to be in the two different environments? Yeah, it's like, I mean, a totally different team. I mean, uh, even the coaching staff was totally different. The front office was totally different. Um, I mean, like, literally, like, Jaron, uh, I mean, he was – Kyle Anderson was on the team at the beginning of last season. I think Udo was technically on the team. Um, I'm, I don't have the roster for me. I'm sort of blanking. But, I mean, for the most part, like, except for a few of those guys that had come in at the deadline, like, it was totally a new team. Yeah, and so, I mean, it was it was com- it was was completely different because for the longest time, uh, Mike Conley and Mark Gasol had had the sort of front uh, seats, if you will, in the locker room. And they were the de facto spokespeople for the team, uh, not because other players, you know, weren't good interviews or whatever, but just in terms of their longevity, their leadership, uh, just their, you know, whatever. Those are the two people that you went to when you needed, you know, uh, you know, something as a reporter um, from the locker room. And then uh, it's like, okay, well, who do we go to now? Like, none of these guys have been here. Like, Jaron's still 19 at the time or, or whatever. And, you know, Jaws a, a, a rookie and all this. And so it was just, 
totally different, but I mean, yeah, I, to their credit, they've been a really good bunch. Like, uh, just just in terms of media stuff, but also just like, um, even when they were really not very good at the beginning of the season, like there was because the expectations I think were so low um, externally, like they never got anywhere remotely close to where last year's team was, just in terms of dejection. Because last year's team started out twelve and five. Last year's team was assembled under the the false sort of idea that they could contend. Yeah. Uh, the 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 level of dejection was so high when things went south, and this year's team there were no expectations. I mean, uh, internally or externally, and so even when they were struggling early, uh, everybody was still kind of generally pretty cheery, and obviously that's only continued to increase, you know, here over the last couple of months as they started to get good. Yeah, how much credit would you give to uh, Taylor Jenkins uh, for that attitude and, and kind of battling through a lot of those losses? You know, you, he's, a, he's a guy that um, just seems to be fairly steady uh, from what we've seen. Uh, did you see anything uh, behind the scenes uh, with his leadership that uh, affected that whole attitude? Yeah, for a first year, his coach has done a great job, um, not just after the nose, uh, but yeah, with the sort of the culture building, I guess, which is a little bit of a cliche, but I mean, the, the thing that I guess Taylor deserves credit for is like he brings like this Ivy League sort of academic uh, pedigree to the job, as well as sort of just like down home Texas people skills and that he can relate really to anybody yeah. and uh that, that's a weird combination like normally or not i would say normally but a lot of times those guys who are you know super intelligent aren't the best at relating to nba basketball players who you know have, have i don't know you know you just think about like that guys never played the game at a high level which taylor did um a lot of times it's just gonna have trouble earning the respect um or at least you would think um have trouble earning the respect of you know guys who've been grinding at this game for years and years and years and been putting their bodies on the line, you know. But um, for Taylor, I, I, he's not had that problem. I mean, uh, he's I think earned the respect of that locker room, even as a first year coach who who didn't play beyond high school, uh, which is he's only, he's only one in the NBA who didn't. And uh, I, I certainly had my doubts about how that would go because you know without a whole lot of veterans in the locker room and without a single veteran who had played for Taylor in the past, um, you know, when he was an assistant in Milwaukee or, or Atlanta, um, I just, I just wondered if he would really be able to, to make the culture that he wanted work. And I mean, he, he's been able to do it and he's, he's funny, you know, like that example of them playing hostile free throws. Like that's yeah. a perfect example of him knowing yeah. when the team needed a pick me up and, you know, how to do something that they would actually like actually keep them like laughing and like to loosen up a little bit. Yeah. Like that was perfect timing on that. And, you know, what too too long after they start, you know, tipping off a bunch of wins. Going back to the academic thing really quickly, we um chatted with Peter Edmiston last week about this um and just the connection between the front office and Taylor and his partnership with um, sort of the analysis and analytics game that I think as fans, we sort of hear about those things a lot. We we are aware that, you know, NBA data is even available to us as, as casual um, nerds, if you will, who want to go deep into sort of understanding the game. Uh, you know, the, <clears throat> the academic component to me is interesting 
you know, bringing that mindset. Is that something that you caught wind of quickly and sort of, um, you know, having even just been a part of the, of the beat and understanding historically just kind of like that tension that existed between the staff and the front office where they weren't willing to partner together that you picked up on and you were like, oh, this maybe yeah. is a fresh, bre- uh, a, you know, breath of fresh air and is going to maybe um, start to work in a positive direction from a mon- momentum standpoint. Yeah, and that's like I don't even know necessarily that there was active um, like uh, friction necessarily like last year with Bickerstaff in the front office. I think they just sort of operated in different worlds um, because Bickerstaff is, was sort of from the the old school um, line of thinking where the the floor belongs to the coach and the coach is about the X's and O's and the coach is about you know managing the players and all this stuff, but. The front office is role is completely different. It's to assemble the roster, and then the, it's the coach's job to make something out of the roster. And I think the Grizzlies have, have finally caught up to where most of the rest of the league is in terms of it's all sort of blended together. I mean, you you know, yeah, the coach decides who goes in the game and when they do. But I mean, to a certain extent, I think the front office has input or suggestion or numbers that they give that influence those decisions. And uh, I don't know that that was always working seamlessly before, uh, but I think it is now. And I think that that if Zach Kleiman or whoever it is in the Grizzlies front office approaches Taylor and has um, something analytically that you know they want to implement, you know I think Taylor it probably already knows about it or is mm. receptive to it and willing to apply it to however he deploys you know the the lineups or or whatever it is. So. Like, I think they're just kind of in the, like getting modern with that. I mean, there's still a few NBA teams that are lagging behind, I think, a little bit in that. But the Grizzlies, um, I don't think, are, are one of those teams anymore. And they're, you know, they're 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 clicking um, in that way. You just look at the acquisitions, like, you know, myself included. Everybody was fooled um, whenever they made the trade with the Suns this past offseason because you're like, oh wow, right. okay, no, and. And unless you were an analytics nerd, um, he probably wouldn't have ID'd him as something worth getting. Um, but they, to their credit, did. And even though it took them a while to get him into the rotation, uh, once they did, it became obvious that you know that was a very merited uh, move for no other reason than to give Melton a, a shot. So, like you know, those are things that um, I don't know. I just don't know that they would have done in the past um, that they are doing now, and it seems to be working. Yeah, part of the those acquisitions that you're touching on, and just sort of the direction that the that the franchise has in front of them over the next you know year or two, is around you know some of the assets that they attained in those transactions with you know J- Jay Crowder and D'Anthony Melton, as well as you know maybe a couple of players even um, that are holdovers from uh, the previous uh, front office like Dylan Brooks and. Kyle Anderson and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Um, and, you know, as fans with the success this year, I think we've become attached to a lot of those guys. We like seeing the success. Right. Um, you know, did you, do you sort of have a sense at all of, you know, what they may do with the, with the trade deadline looming, you know, or if not, maybe if you're in their shoes, what would you do? Yeah. You know, I think you got to think what you, some, a distinction that you made that, it, that it's probably important is you mentioned, you know, a couple of holdovers from the previous front office, and you mentioned Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks. Well, I don't necessarily have any intel that suggests they're going to trade either one of those guys 
line, especially considering that Anderson has a 15% trade kicker, uh, which would sort of de-incentivize moving him, although he's not playing very much. Um, yeah. You know, so, so you never say never. But, uh, you know, Brooks is, is, to me, the most fascinating one uh, in terms of what are they going to do with this guy because, I mean, he's been a, a dynamite scorer uh, for him. He's, he's put up some serious numbers. We all know the stats about, you know, I guess they finally lost the other day in a game where he scored over 20. Uh, but <laughs> Can we retire but that clearly, stat, please? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Hey, well, he scored 31, so they're still undefeated when they when he oh, scores in the 20s. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, I've seen that tweet as well. It's driving me crazy. I know, <laughs> I know right? Like, so, I don't know. Like, people uh, people love it or loved it when oh, I did so that. Um, but, but yeah, anyway, maybe they just thought, thought it was annoying. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was like one of my things. But um, anyway, no, so um, uh, Brooks is uh, fascinating. Like, what are they going to do with him? Because, I mean, the dude can clearly get buckets. The dude, like, Clearly lacks no confidence, uh, but he is from that. He is from that last round. Still, even though he's gotten better, he still makes a lot of moves that he probably shouldn't, um, because like analytically, yeah, they're just not. The, it's just not the best side. But he continues to take them. So that's sort of an issue that I don't know that they're going to feel great about where he's at in that regard at the end of the season. And I don't know if that'll impact what they do with him or not. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I just think because because Melton is their guy and the guy that they went out to get, like they will be more inclined to invest in him if they have to choose. But they also have a ton of cap space um, and should, I mean, theoretically have the freedom to uh, financially to match any offer that either of those guys get in restricted free agency. So I wouldn't rule that out either. I mean, maybe that's just like me, like morphing into a fan and, and like you say, like getting attached to those guys in the way they played this year. Uh, but I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, because financially it's feasible. Like it's not like we're we're, we're wishing for some, you know, just totally, uh, just ridiculous financial outcome there. Like that's within the realm of possibility, given how much cash space they have. So definitely don't rule that out. But who knows? Maybe there's a team out there that's willing to to make an offer to, you know, get Dylan Brooks um, and get his bird rights or whatever before the deadline. Like I don't know. I mean, I think they'd be open to it. I think they'd be open to a lot of things. Yeah, with Solomon Hill too on the books, you got that a big expiring contract. So, yeah, there's there's some optionality there. Uh, I think that the front office has, um, and looking forward to seeing what they're gonna do. Uh, David, we'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, you mentioned a couple of, of of awesome stories, but from behind the scenes with the half court shots in uh, practice, as well as uh, that free throw game, what? Uh, are those your go-to stories? Do you have any other go-to stories when somebody asks you about your time covering uh, the Grizzlies beat, whether it's a memorable interaction or interview with a player or front office member or anything like that? Um, yeah, the the, uh, the instance where they were throwing John here in, in Salt Lake City for <laughs> hospital probably one of my better ones. Honestly, that was the first time I told that, that story uh, like Breaking. in any sort of public. Forum. So yeah, yeah. I there, but I know. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, that's that's part. Of, like, there's just so many like little things that you realize how like privileged you are to like be in the presence of. I mean, that sounds a little like ridiculous. Like they're just people. Like you know, but like when you step back from it, and like you're like, oh wow, like like John Morant handed me um, an order of barbecue nachos at a Memphis Redbirds game. Like before he ever played a game for the Grizzlies, like if you go to my Twitter, yeah. like that's my picture. Man, and like, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's like I, I, you know that's the coolest thing about covering a small 
of the beat writer is that, you know, if this was the Lakers or the Bulls or the Knicks or a, a lot of other teams, you wouldn't ever, even ever potentially have that sort of, you know, that level of just sort of, I don't know. And so I, I just think that those moments are the things that I'll like really like remember, especially when John's like a perennial all-star, like, I don't Heck know, yeah. starting maybe this year. Yeah, yeah like, hopefully. like, you know, or maybe an MVP or whatever. I'll be like, <laughs> yeah, so um, like, John, like, follows me on Twitter. Like, you know, like, yeah. like so, I don't know, that's just cool. The fact that actually, like, you know, like, he's definitely a guy. Like, he's, he's the, the guy who's going to be the best player the Grizzlies have ever had, like, would recognize me if I passed him in Target. And so, even though I wasn't the Grizzly, on the Grizzlies beat for very long, like, that's something that I'll certainly cherish. Man, that's great. That's really uh, awesome. David, where can we uh, where can we find your work on uh, CBS? Yeah, um, CBSSports.com, mainly the college basketball and college football pads. Um, so yeah, I'm doing a little bit of everything over there. Uh, working on a story now about like how the uh, college three point line being moved back to the international distance is affecting the game. And, you know, just trying to do some cool things like that. So. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, check me out there, and I'm on Twitter at uh, David W. Cobb. David, thanks again for joining us. This has been great. We'll have to have you uh, back in, maybe in studio, now that we know that you're you're still going to be living in Memphis. So thanks again for joining us, David. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me, yeah. All right, let's get to some segments very quickly. Uh, first, we're going to do a Grizzlies History Moment. You can follow uh, Grizzlies History on Twitter, at GrizzStory, um, for on this day in X year content. It's really fun. We're going to talk today about the 2013 trade deadline. One of the biggest transitions in Grizzlies history. Uh, John Hollinger was hired in December of 2012. And this was a very John Hollinger trade deadline. Uh, two main deals we're going to discuss. First, on January 22nd, 2013, we traded Wayne Ellington, Josh Selby, Mo Spates, and a 2017 first-round draft pick to the Cleveland Cavaliers for John Lure. Oh, my gosh. Which, on the surface, does seem like a terrible trade. Uh, I especially hated giving up that what year draft was that pick. first round pick? 20s, okay, so it was supposed to be a 2015, but uh-huh. it kept, there were protections on it, and it didn't convey until 2017. Hey, we knew what protections were. And guess who the Cavs took with that pick? Harry Giles. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being a pretty good draft pick, but also he hasn't done a ton. Mm. Uh, I think he ended up getting dealt to uh, Sacramento on yeah, that was, night. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, if you look at the years after this trade, uh, we ended up signing John Lohr to a two- or three-year deal, uh, pretty fair price. Wayne Ellington ended up going to uh, – uh, he he kind of – he hasn't done much since, and then most Spates went to the Warriors, played a pretty good part. Josh Selby was out of the league. Wayne Ellington uh, was good for that one game where we beat the Heat. That yes. That was awesome. And, and past well, that, he was kind of we, – we, we, we had him on our team to shoot threes. He wasn't a very efficient three-point shooter, if you look back. But well, we didn't know how to use him either, but that's – he was a little. He would work great on this team. Little known fact: I used to compare my ultimate frisbee game to John Lure. <laughs> true story. Well, that's tall, white, and just what would you do? Mid-range fundamentally J's? sound. Yeah, fundamentally, <laughs> fundamentally sort of. 
I don't know. High motor jump. Yeah. High motor. Mainly Caucasian. Yeah. Yeah. That was the selling point. Pete Panic saying Johnny Badger every time he did anything. It's true. Except on the floor. So if you look at PER, which is why I bring up John Hollinger, uh, John Lohr had a really great PER compared with to the three guys that we dealt. Is he still in the league? No. John Lohr? I think he might be on a team, just not. He was not playing. I'm looking. I'd have it to up. look that. Yeah, look that up for us. All right, but then that was the, that was the one trade um, that we freed up some some money, and that's why we had to deal a draft pick because we were we were freeing up cap space. January thirteenth, thirtieth, excuse me, twenty thirteen. As part of a three team trade, the Memphis Grizzlies traded Hamed Haddadi, fan favorite, oh. and Rudy Gay <sighs> to the Toronto Raptors. Tayshawn. We, in return, got Tayshawn Prince. Love Tayshawn. <laughs> now we're going to have an explicit <laughs> logo by our content. We got Tayshawn Prince back and Austin Day. Austin Day was largely a, disappointed, a disappointment. We also got Ed, Ed Davis and a 2013 second-round draft pick, which we ended up getting Jamal Franklin, who we thought was going to be a Tony Allen for us. Another Tony Allen didn't end up panning out. Um, but that was a huge trade deadline for the Memphis Grizzlies uh, because later that year they went to the Western Conference Finals. Many were criticizing both trades, and yet at the end of the day, it resulted in the uh, deepest playoff run in franchise history. Tayshawn's a winner. Because Tayshawn, uh, as people pointed out, didn't take as many shots as Rudy. Yeah. But when he did, it was more efficient, and Mike and Mark and Zebo. Stepped up and took those shots that Rudy was taking. We gave the shots to the guys who needed to get shots. Yep. Yeah. And you don't have most Spates and Wayne Ellington in the rotation. You have a yeah. solid guy in John Lure backing up. Yep. And Ed Davis, too, mm-hmm. who are backing up Zebo and Mark. Machine. Um, so I just thought that was a, a really interesting trade deadline as we approach trade season. Uh, things are not always as they appear in the moment. I would say that's the moral of this Grizzlies what history there, moment. Indeed. All right, now let's move on to Hammer Nail Coffin, our final segment of the day. Um, we're going to do some quick hits on what we want to see in the next few games. Who wants to get started? I'll go really quickly, and I think uh, this is sort of going to serve two things. We've talked about Ja just this in this pot a lot because uh, the team sort of has started to go with him, and that may be the case for a while until just some other folks are able to step up. <clears throat> in certain games, but you know, one of the things that we're trying to do ahead of schedule is just kind of let you guys know whether it's on this or on socials, um, sort of how we're pre-selecting and why we're pre-selecting games as, as quote unquote big games for that sort of analysis that we're tracking with you. Um, and so I'll just run through the next four games, um, so that we can just kind of have that on our radar. We're at Detroit. We're calling that no, um, not a big game, not a big game and it, for the, this job, big game this analysis, job, big game analysis. um, the next game we're playing Phoenix at home. Um, although the previous games against Phoenix have not been one, we're putting this on a, a potentially yes scenario, uh, mainly for playoff implications. What is sort of maybe an emerging little bit of a rivalry between some young teams, um, as well as maybe, uh, hope, uh, getting out of a losing streak. Maybe we don't lose um, at Detroit, but if we do, uh, potentially could ha- could see Josh stepping up to want to get out of that game. Denver, uh, historically, we've said no. Um, it, that game's at home. Even though they're uh, a big contender um, in the league, there's uh, not sort of a, a big quote-unquote guard star 
uh, and um, we're just sort of not selecting it for that reason. And then the ne- the last game that we'll sort of talk about is at New uh, at New York against the Knicks. Big game. And we're saying that's yes, just MSG. from the stage and yeah, MSG and sure. playing against RJ. Yeah. Ty, what you got? This is bad timing, but the thought is coming up is Ja. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Is Ja kind of hitting a rookie wall? He slapped us in the face with both hands and said no. But is now the time? These last two games watching him, we mentioned he kind of looked out of it a little bit in the last two. So is now the time that he hits the rookie wall? All-star break coming up what, two or three weeks away. Um, hopefully not. I don't think he, I don't know. I don't know. It's just kind of tough to say, but that's one thing I'll be looking for. Um, I'm just watching jaw all the time, to be honest, just like all of us are. Yeah. And for mine, uh, on the socials, if you follow us, you might have noticed we've thrown out a hashtag, hashtag JJ Trey. Uh, we mentioned in Peter Edison interviews, in the, in, the, in the interview we did with him, we shouted out Jaron Jackson as having uh, just an insane, an insanely efficient season from three. Uh, we believe, as a Grizzden podcast, that he should be in the three-point contest at NBA All-Star Weekend. Um, if you want to support our calls... Anytime you see Jaron, a Jaron really highlight. Jaren's calls, right? Yeah. That's right, for yeah, Jaron's calls. Yeah. This is for Jaron. Uh, oh, yeah, on behalf of Jaron. On behalf of Jaron. <laughs> if you see a highlight floating around of him shooting a three, if you see a game uh, where he hits a three, just throw out the hashtag JJ Trey. Hashtag T-R- JJTREY. Yep, thanks. Is the official spelling. And then also do a hashtag NBA All Star so uh, that those folks up there see it. And we can get Jaron in Chicago behind the three-point line going against the best in the game because we believe he's one of the best in the game. Hashtag JJ Trey. Social up. All right, guys, thanks. Thanks for joining us this episode. This was a lot of fun. We had a lot to catch up on. Uh, We'll be coming at you next week. Until then, be good. Stay hungry. Stay humble.